0: Hello and welcome to the National Archives podcast series. In this episode, Neil Johnson and Christopher Day discuss a letter we hold here at the National Archives that was written by Catherine Howard, the fifth wife of Henry VIII, to Thomas Culpepper. Here Chris and Neil discuss some of the interpretations. It can be seen as a love letter if it's taken out of context, but when it's put, in, put into context, I think it's... It's not a love letter at all, actually. My name is Neil Johnston, and I'm an Early Modern record Specialist at National Archives. Catherine herself was a niece of the Duke of Norfolk, and he was one of the most se- senior nobles in the kingdom. Norfolk likely procured a position for young Catherine um, in Anne of Cleves' royal household.
1: Anne of Cleves being the queen at the time. That's right.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately for Anne of Cleves, her marriage to Henry was ill-fated. Purportedly, he had no real romantic interest in her, and he couldn't divorce her quickly enough. While this was happening, he appears to have put his eye on young Catherine while she was at court.
1: And she's significantly younger than him.
0: Yes, she was was still a teenager at this point, Mm. Um, and Henry was in his 40s. Um, So that's quite the gap. So she becomes queen in 1540. She was probably born 1523, 1524, so she's about 1415. We're not really sure. But she already has a complicated sexual past by this time, particularly for a royal consort. She'd been sexually abused by one of her tutors, Henry Mannix. Um, He was her music tutor. And then a few years later... Um, Francis Derham, he was a kinsman of the Duke of Norfolk. Um, it's likely they had sex. She's certainly allowing him into her bedchamber and they appear to have uh, exchanged vows. He certainly referred to her as his wife, as far as he's concerned, or married. But there was no...
1: So this is unusual for someone who goes on to marry the king... I suppose Henry is not aware of this.
0: Well, well, Henry's not on the scene yet. Uh, at this point, um, Catherine's original tormentor, uh, Henry Mannix, uh, he learns of this relationship. Jealousy kicks in, and he informs Catherine's grandmother, who, under this was conditions at the time, blames young Catherine. Um, but Francis Derham is shipped off to a post in Ireland, and it's all hushed up. Um, it's it, it's in the years subsequent that young Catherine uh, becomes queen and uh, after she comes to the king's notice. Um, but the mistake she made is when, or the mistake the family made, you can probably say, is when, when Henry's intentions became clear her sexual past wasn't disclosed and uh, she ultimately paid for this.
2: Master Culpepper, I heartily recommend me unto you, praying you to send me word how that you do. It was showed to me that you were sick, the which thing troubled me very much, till such time that I hear from you, praying you to send me word how that you do. For I never longed so much for a thing, as I do to see you and to speak with you, the which I trust shall be shortly now, the which doth comfort me very much when I think of it. And when I think again that you shall depart from me again, it makes my heart to die, to think what fortune I have, that I cannot be always in your company.
1: It's written while she's, while she's Queen. That's right. But this isn't a letter, although she was married to Henry at the time, this isn't the letter addressed to Henry. And Can you tell us who it's addressed to and a little bit more about, about them?
0: So the letter is written to a man called Thomas Culpepper, who was a member of Henry's royal household. And he's a groom um, in the privy chamber, so he has, you know, close and personal access to the king, in the way uh, other nobles and gentry won't have had. And so he is a, he has a position of privilege. Yeah. The letter is written in 1540, likely in July or August. Uh, it's extrapolated about this time, and. Henry's court is on royal progress. He was to go and meet uh, the King of Scotland. Uh, The meeting never happened, um, but while they were travelling back, I think, um, from the north, they were in Lincoln. Queen Catherine is arranging meetings in her private chambers with Thomas Culpepper. And this letter is written. She learns he's been ill. It can be seen as a love letter if it's taken out of context, but when it's put, in, put into context, I think it's, it's not a love letter at all, actually.
1: What do you think this letter is saying then in this case, if it's not a love letter?
0: I think she's trying to appease him. Um, Culpepper is likely very ambitious. He's learnt of Catherine's sexual past, And he is trying to exploit this. And it's possible he's trying to blackmail her. Um, And she is responding in the way she could by using the position she has to her own advantage of trying to possibly keep him quiet. It's hard to know what she's doing. It's hard to know whether they have a sexual, a full sexual relationship or not. It's certainly recounted that they did, but she's certainly responding to pressure.
2: Yet my trust is always in you, that you will be as you have promised me, and in that hope I trust upon still, praying you than that you will come when my lady Rochford is here, for then I shall be best at leisure to be at your commandment.
0: It certainly gives the perception of an affair, or how their behaviour was later recounted, secretly meeting late at night, coming up back stairs, um, while... uh, Front access was being guarded by the king's men. um, All sorts of underhanded behaviour of trying to conceal a relationship. But this doesn't have been, appear to have been an affair in the normal sense.
1: So I suppose what's interesting is, I mean, you're saying the idea of it being a romantic liaison has been put on it after it came to light. but And obviously it's now in the archives of, of the state, uh, right. of the British government. So how does a letter like this come to light, how does this letter come to light, end up with us eventually? What's what's the sort of next part of the story?
0: It's ended up as part of the body of evidence that was collected against Catherine and Culpeper and Francis Derham and Henry Mannix and the extended Howard family too. What happens is, while the court is still in progress in 1541, um, so a year or so into their marriage, um. Archbishop Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is informed, um, likely in October 1541, of the affair. And this appears to certainly come as a surprise to him. And unfortunately for Cranmer, he was the one who had to inform the king. He did so by writing to the king, handing the king a letter, and effectively scarpering by all accounts, because he didn't want to really hang around as Henry was informed of what was happening. Henry supposedly reacts with disbelief. Um, He's quite taken aback and he's very, very upset. He doted on young Catherine. Um, He appears to have been very content with her. Um, And all of a sudden, this has changed so quickly and secretly. He orders an investigation to ascertain whether this is true or not. And it quickly becomes obvious that it is true. Catherine is then detained at Hampton Court and Cranmer is dispatched to Hampton Court to interview her and the reality of Catherine's situation becomes evident to her and she she becomes hysterical or mm-hmm. understandably knowing what happened to Anne Boleyn um, who was executed um, you can imagine she got very scared Yes, um, Cranmer is sent in to investigate Um, You can either describe his discussion with her as an interview or an interrogation. He seems to have taken it very softly, his own account of the matter, and there's a superb letter here um, that he's written to the king, describing uh, her state of mind. He describes her as being in a frenzy, being hysterical. He's to calm her down. She keeps lapsing into uncontrollable sobs. Uh, He can't get any sense out of her initially. And while at the start she denies... The allegations against her, she eventually admits them, and she pleads for mercy. And it's Cranmer who is tasked with reporting this to the king. Difficult job for anyone to have to do. So the letter is in uh, in the national archives because, as I say, it was used as as part of a body of evidence. It was uh, drawn together. There's depositions that were taken from amongst the Howards, people who were intimate with Catherine's movements. Um. They reported uh, numerous things about her, uh, going all the way back to her affair with Henry Mannox um, Catherine herself. She's she's effectively implicated and things that she had said supposedly um, reported to her, her ladies and her family as a, when she was younger. Um, she's supposed to have said that um, she was pleading with pepper to, to remember that Henry was the supreme head of the church and if any of this was reported in confession that it would inevitably make its way up the chain of command back to the king because he was the head of the church. Mm. The process uh. then splits in two um, a special commission is established at the Guildhall in London to very quickly uh, try Culpepper and Derham and that happens um, in November. And they both meet grisly deaths that year. They hung drawn and
1: quartered. or Yeah,
0: yeah. And, but not at the Tower at Tyburn. And a real example is made of them. Henry is enraged um, by what's happened, or more distressed perhaps than enraged, accounts of, um, of his behaviour subsequent to uh, learning this. The situation with Catherine was different. She was moved from Hampton Court to Scion, where she's again held for a while while um, the king and his legal counsellors really figure out how they can proceed. She's stripped of uh, her queenship quite quickly. Has she committed treason? It's complicated and they didn't know how to proceed. So she's not tried in in a court uh, under a special commission. She's tried by parliament using a legal procedure called a Bill of attainder.
1: So what, what, what is that exactly? So
0: it strips her civil rights and it... it it authorises them to execute her. The Royal Succession, the Act of Succession of 1534 also, um, declared a treason to do anything to the peril of the king's person or to give occasion where the king might be disturbed or interrupted of the crown. And it's under this legislation that the, the case against Catherine is is raised. So under Catherine, an investigation is launched, she and her conspirators are interrogated, um, and she's ultimately e- executed. In documents we have here at TNA, you can see that she's she's accused of living an abominable, base, carnal, voluptuous, vicious life. Um, and the bill is introduced in 1542, uh, January 1542, um, and it's passed Henry signs it in absentia, which was new. Um,
1: so he's not there to sign the bill. He's not
0: there. He doesn't want to hear accounts of this in Parliament. He doesn't attend the Lords. So he empowers a royal commission to pass it on his to so sign it So his effect, behalf. the effect of
1: the royal assent of the act, at so yes. a sort of final stage of it becoming law, he is suddenly absent for it.
0: Yeah, he doesn't attend. He empowers because others he to do Because he's so Yeah.
1: So I suppose it's interesting, because we've come to this sort of love letter. Not at all. But that wasn't a love letter, but perhaps the real love letter is um, the sort of sadness and heartbreak in the records of the Parliament. Yeah. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, all rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence.